Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Celestial Somology, where astronomy is viewed through the telescope of biblical prophecy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Joe Musidla and Matthew Miller. And tonight, uh, for this edition of Celestial Somology, we're bringing on uh, my son, Aaron, as a special guest. Uh, some things were happening today as we were listening uh, to Joe and I's last Celestial Somology broadcast, and it well, it triggered some ideas in my uh, son as we're driving down the road, and it's kind of strange to, uh, I was rather excited as things, as the more he stated, the more things dawned on me. So, while we were driving, we actually went ahead and conference called Joe, put it on loudspeaker, and just shot it past him. So, that's what we're going to be covering tonight, but not before we start off in prayer. So that being stated, if you can please join us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, whom I serve through the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son and my Savior, I please request that you send your Holy Spirit to fill us so that we might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Dear Lord, I pray that you be with both the listeners and with us as we try to, well, provide some content to those that are your children. There's so many distractions, Lord. There's so many, so many things to get lost in, so many hobbies that you can get to pass away the time. But according to Ephesians chapter 5, 15 and 16, we need to redeem the time, Lord. So please help us to provide some content that may help us to focus on you and your word away from all these endless distractions. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, your Son, Father, and our Savior, amen and amen. Well, I have given the opening diatribe there just exactly what has happened. Um, Joe, why don't you jump on here and... Uh, you can uh, give your opening comments on what you thought about this crazy uh, conversation that we had today and how this might play into things that we've done in the past. You and I personally have talked about an extraterrestrial relocation possibly being Europa and the things that's uh, been covered here in the news lately with Europa. It's, it's, it's come up again. So, uh, Joe, your opening comments, please. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, exciting, a really exciting conversation uh, with with both uh, you and Aaron. Uh, well, I guess this evening, and uh, you know, the, the, it kind of took me. Uh, well, it took me by surprise. Uh, I, I, you know, we had talked about Europa being a uh, a possible relocation. Uh, event or, or, uh, location, I should say. And, 
I think we mapped that out uh, as far as the possibility pretty well, but you know, once again, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Europa has been in the news quite a lot here lately. And, uh, I don't want to really steal, uh, Aaron's thunder here, but man, he had some really uh, amazing, uh, stuff to uh, bring forth. So, um, I'd like to get him, you know, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to do the punchline here, but, uh, I think he should do it since it was, uh, uh, his idea there. All right. Uh, well, I would agree with that. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you might want to bring yourself up to speed with uh, the technical data provi provided by NASA as far as the grand TAC hypothesis goes. Aaron's going to be referring to that and also the five-planet Nice model. Uh, these actually go hand-in-hand. Hand. And uh, remember, ladies and gentlemen, mathematically speaking, this is a certainty. That being the case, that uh, the Lord, our God, designed history to be isochronal, <laughs> we're all in for one wild ride. And let us remember that um, I have always stated this, that the whole purpose of this whole shindig, since the Lord, our God, would come down into the Garden of Eden, and, uh, well... Enjoy us in the cool of the day. That's where we're going back to. That's the purpose. That's the point. And with that in mind, boy, this can uh, take some... Well, it can take you by surprise some of the things that the Bible has stated, and yet you don't look at them in a certain way until somebody points it out to you, and that can rattle thine cage, so to speak. So, Aaron... um, you know, your your opening comments, your opening thoughts as to, well, what you were thinking about and, and what you were listening to, to, well, create these reverberations in your personal cage uh, that brought about these, uh, well, theories. Aaron, the mic is yours. Okay, so while you were, we were listening to that show that we did a few days ago, um, you were talking about um, how the there are seas on Europa that are covered in ice. Um, here I'm, I'm, I'm looking up at uh, an article at Europa in depth. It says um, that Europa's ice shell is to 10 to 15 miles thick, scientists think, and the floating on an ocean 40 to 100 miles deep. Um, uh, it says the ocean may contain twice as much water as all the Earth's oceans combined. Um, this is com this is considered one of the most um, uh, possible places for life to exist on other on another planet, and I mean in our another place for life to exist in our solar system. Um, but uh, it just made me think. I just I just. Well, I considered it like a science fiction type idea. I said, I said, Dad, what if there was a flood on Mars, uh, on Europa, and that's why it's covered in water? And he started to think about it. And then, I don't, I don't know how to go exactly down the path that we went through, but he brought up, what if Europa was, um, the Garden of Eden? Um, I don't know if, have you ever talked about that before, Dad? 
No, I have never talked about that. I just alluded to it prophetically, uh, that all things are isochronal. And I've always thought that that was a bridge too far, that in my conversations I would I would uh, be discreet and very calculated in how I spoke. Um, it was enough for me to say that we could be looking at an extraterrestrial relocation event. That was enough. Um, yeah, and you, you, you. I, I remember a long time ago you talked to me about how what if when our planet is destroyed, we move to Europe. Right, but I only stated that to you in my own household, uh, free from recording devices. Yes, I, I did say that. And now that you've brought that out into the open, um, well, this um, a lot of the listeners are probably realizing, yeah, that's exactly what Matthew meant. He just wasn't come out and saying it because, well, we're going to go back to the beginning. I've stated that and stated that and stated that, that. We're going to go back to the beginning. Now, the whole point is this, is that God gets to have his, well, Eve, he, he gets to, well, that's what revelation is. Revelation is the evolution of the woman into that bride. Um, that's that's what this whole shindig is for. So, so yes, I was alluding to that, uh, but as you brought up those points, it just, Boy, it just reverberated with me, Aaron. I was like, oh my goodness, what are we really looking at here? So yeah, you, you did take me by surprise. But yeah, that's exactly what I've been, been pondering in my mind. That Well, this also ties into the simple fact, the ideas you had on that flaming sword. Because I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but... When you talked about the flaming sword and, and what effect that would have if you removed this certain uh, property from this equation, what would happen? Uh, so I don't want to go too far. Uh, so back to you. Okay. So I considered the model, the um, grand tech hypothesis that, and uh, to um, to put that out there, what the um, grand tech hypothesis is is that there was a time that Jupiter uh, came out of its orbit and came hurtling straight towards the sun. And a lot of um, astronomical effects happened, including Pluto being thrown, Pluto, po Pluto possibly being a moon of either uh, Neptune or uh, ne Neptune or Uranus. And uh, Uranus and Neptune actually switching places in their orbits. Um, uh, I, I thought to myself, what if Europa was one of Earth's moons? What if Earth had two moons? And when Genesis chapter 1 says he created a greater and lesser light, it doesn't say the sun and moon, but we always want to think that it says the sun and moon. But what if it's talking about two moons? One was greater and one was lesser. One ruled the day and one ruled the night. And, um, uh, what if this moon that ruled the day was Eden, was the paradise, um, and it's, it's very symbolic that, um, Jupiter being the king star representing Christ, say, if Jupiter came, took, took paradise from us, 
then that would that would make so much sense that 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 it, that paradise is now with Christ at one point and is far away from us, that is taken from us. But when he when he returns in the last days as the sign of the Son of Man, this Europe um, may return within our orbit and um, could thaw out. The ice could definitely thaw out if placed in the right place. Well, let me just state this. I mean, basically, you're saying Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. Now, now, first off, that just makes you makes you realize that when we do see the sign of the Son of Man coming inbound, it's going to be rapid. And, of course, we know it. it, it it's going to get here within this 1,260-day uh, uh, 1, time sequence. But let it be magnified in your mind what's coming with him. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. So, boy, this makes prophecy explode off the page because, well, he would, Jupiter will, be bringing Europa with it. You understand that how could this happen if we had two moons? Well, the best way for it to happen is if they come in perfect synchronicity, and you know this is absolutely possible because you always see one face of the moon. Its revolutions matches its rotation. That's why you always see one side of it, one face. If Europa comes in and takes up a position <laughs> on the exact opposite end of the heavens as the faithful witness, you'd only see one moon in the sky at any one given time, and one would obviously govern the day, and one would govern the night. With that in mind, Job chapter 16, verse 19, where he explains to you about the faithful witness, you know that is the moon. He, he states very clearly that the moon is his faithful witness. But Job chapter 16, verse 19, now behold, my witness is in heaven, and my advocate is on high. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard me state this before. This is clearly uh, uh, referencing, it is implying, we at one time had two moons. And the identical twin we have in the heavens, just like Uranus and Neptune are twins, you can look this up uh, anywhere you would like, our closest twin to our moon is Europa. That's a fact. That's just a fact. They're nearly identical in size. So, that being the case, uh, Aaron, this this idea about one for the day and one for the night, uh, can you elaborate on that more, please? Well, I mean, they would have to have opposite, they would have to move completely opposite of each other. That's what it have to have to happen. Um, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm no scientist. I don't know exactly how that would look. But they would, but if, in order... For one to rule the night and one to rule the day, one would have to be in the sky when the other one isn't. Correct. Well, <laughs> how many scriptures does this make sense now from one end of the heavens to the other? I mean, we already know this applies uh, biblically to the sign of the strike and the sign of the restrainer. That is, from one end of the heavens to the other. And if these two moons... Uh, picked up a gyroscopic action opposite of each other, you would only see one in the sky at one time. <laughs> and then one would pass overhead. As one was setting, one would be rising. And since how we can see our field of vision, uh, 
uh, extenuates to uh, eight degrees below the horizon, hence twilight. That's what twilight is, is when the sun is eight degrees below the horizon. Uh, <laughs> you understand, well, prophecy, uh, many, many prophetic passages that speaks about this. Well, all of a sudden, they make sense, prophetically speaking. Aaron? Yeah, and, and I wanted to bring something out. Remember um, Revelation, uh, this is the last chapter of Revelation that says um, that the we see the New Jerusalem coming out of the sky as if it's coming down. Say this is this is uh, this is on Europa. It's this is where it's settling down um, into our orbit. And um, with this with this idea, if, if Europa were to be Eden, they would have they there would have to be some sort of gate from that to Earth because obviously God drove Adam from from Eden to the Earth, and well, can I magnify that? That's exactly what he states in uh, Revelation chapter twenty-one. This is how he puts it, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. And he goes on to explain it. That's exactly he. Not prophetically, he literally come out and told you that the only way that John could see this was he had to be carried away to this place. So, well, uh, something to notice is that he describes it looking like crystal. What would a what would a moon look like in our atmosphere, covered in water, having the sun reflecting off of it? What would that look like? That would look kind of like crystal, wouldn't it? Well, you need to understand that uh, water reflects. A re reflect sunlight to a magnifying degree. It would not look like the moon. The moon is just rock. But you all forget, ladies and gentlemen, that that you would prophetically be able to, well, to a large part, I mean, if you had a telescope, you'd be able to see the Earth off the reflection of those oceans on Europa. But make no doubt about it. Once those oceans liquefied, Aaron, make no mistakes it would be a massively greater light than the moon. Um, Thus, the greater light. Oh, 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 the greater strobe light in comparison. I, I, <laughs> let's get Joe's take. Uh, Joe, what do you think would happen if we had a moon that was covered with water? Uh, as far as refraction goes, what do you think it would look like? Oh, goodness. <clears throat> as far as refraction... Uh... Ooh, that would be that would be something to see. Uh, I think it would be, well, I think it would definitely be the greater light, um, for certain. Um, gosh, so many, <laughs> uh, so many things are going through my head right now. It's just, uh, it's amazing. Um, you know, you you spoke of. I, I, it's in Job as well. I think that you pointed out on the last episode uh, in the Greek uh, uses the uh, phrase uh, gyros, correct? Yes, it does. Make no mistakes about it. There in Isaiah chapter 24, it says that the earth is a gyron. 
gyro. It says it's a gyro in our tongue. Okay. Uh, no mistake, that's what it says, Joe. That's that that is what it says in the Greek. Yes. Okay, uh, and and then yeah, I can start picturing it in my mind. This equalization or a balance uh, at zero degrees. Um, it made me think of uh, Isaiah twenty four twenty three in a little different way. So I I don't know. I can't quite. <laughs> I can't quite get it to congeal in my mind right at the moment, but uh, I'm going to have to ponder on that one for just a minute. But, um, yeah, as far as uh, a liquid-covered moon, that would be, well, I think he, I think God described it perfect in, in, in Revelation there. And and I agree, and... <laughs> Well, it's it's just amazing to me. Let's we're going to go to the Scientific uh, American. Uh, this article uh, was published June twelfth, twenty nineteen. A new study published this week in Science Advances suggests that sodium chloride, the stuff of table salt, exists on Europa's surface because the exterior is essentially formed from frozen. Seawater. Lord have mercy. The findings suggest that Ropa's hidden sea is drenched in table salt, a critical, crucial fact for constraining the possibilities for life on the alien world. Of course it is, duh. Uh, just take note that uh, not that the scientist has tasted a slice of the distant moon. To analyze Europa's composition, astronomers studied the light emanating from its surface splitting it into a rainbow-like spectrum to search for any telltale absorption or emission lines that reveal the world's chemistry. There's just one problem. Ordinary table salt is white and thus gives off a featureless spectrum. But harsh radiation which exists at Europa's surface in abundance just might add a dash of color. That was what was realized, and this is how they tested for it uh, by doing this. To reach that conclusion, um, they recreated the conditions on Europa with the vacuum chambers. Uh, and the scientist says stainless steel shiny objects that are humming and whizzing next. They placed table salt into those chambers, lowered the pressures and temperatures to simulate Europa's surface, and blasted the samples with an electron gun to simulate the intense radiation. And that's when they figured it out. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. Literally, <laughs> Europa's not only covered with water... It's covered with salt water, sea water, as you were just explained to in this article from Scientific America. Okay. This is real. Uh, so this is real, Joe. <laughs> uh, isochronally speaking, though, um, we'd have to. It, 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 I have to go back to the days of Noah, and and he the, the promise that he made Noah of the rainbow. So I would think it would be quite fitting that there would be another promise in that same likeness. Well, you know, that's what I was talking to with Aaron today privately. Let's make no mistakes about it. I have brought all these things to the Ecclesia. No one ever uh, put together two and two and two and two and two looking for something like the Grand Tack, looking for something like the Nice model. I firmly believe that the reason why those scientists look for this, and you just heard straight out of this article, 
They tested it with a rainbow. It, literally speaking, I think that they come to the knowledge of Jupiter's grand tech and thought to do those simulations and uh, the Nice model simulations was because the Book of Enoch instructed them that's actually what happened. And they were actually back engineering the scripture. I have always believed that. And that usually upsets my son because he's like, why isn't it in the canon? Why isn't it in the canon? Why isn't it in the canon? We don't have the parables. Christ alone was permitted to present the riddle. So, whether you like it or not, we do not have uh, the middle portion of Enoch, which is called, well, the riddles or the parables. Uh, we don't have it. If you don't have it in Hebrew or Greek, uh, you can't put it into the canon. And I think they took it. And I think they've used that portion to deduct, to figure out mathematically. That's that's what I think this information was in the book of Enoch. Like he came right out and told you what happened. So, Joe, the simple fact that they knew to do this uh, prism effect to determine what was on Europa. And why Europa, Joe? Have you asked anybody? Do you know how many moons Jupiter has? How about Saturn? How many moons are... Why, Joe? Why did they want to know if salt water, if seawater was on Europa? Ladies and gentlemen... So, uh, with that in mind, boy, um, Aaron goes a whole lot deeper into this, um, well, this effect, you know, going back uh, to the rainbow and what happened. Well, Aaron's got some ideas about that flaming sword, too, so let's get back to Aaron. Aaron, you have the mic. Okay, so um, this is what we know of... Um, the flaming sword. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. He drove... Uh, I'm looking at the KJV. He drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now I'm going to look at a few words. Um, the word turned every way means as uh, H2015 it's uh, Hafak, it means to turn about or over. Literally, to spin. So, are we thinking, are we talking about, are we talking about a compass? Um, I remember a long time ago when I was really little, Dad, you described to me the sword in the way of a compass. What made you come to that idea that it was like a compass? Well, because... You, you have to come to grips with this, son. Why does he mention the direction? That's how my mind thinks. I, I look at this quite literally, and he he positioned it the east of Eden. He's literally wanting you to see east. He's literally wanting you to see dawn. He is purposefully, by mentioning the simple fact that, well, I've said east, so in which direction much do you approach it? Well, you got to approach it from the opposite direction if he's facing that way. So logical deduction with how my mind worked when I was a child, I immediately knew. He's talking about positive and negative. He's talking about east and west. He, but he's only telling you one side of it. Well, the sword, well, duh, has anybody ever looked at a compass? Duh, that's a sword that always points north. The only time it spins, son, 
You can only get a magnet to spin in the presence of a greater magnet that supersedes the Earth's geomagnetic North Pole. Then they'll spin. So what we're, we're really saying is that this, this way to the Tree of Life was how Adam and Eve could make it from uh, Eden, from Paradise to Earth. A stargate, if you will. That would mean that this sword, if it's a compass, and it's turning every way, that means God did something to interfere. And like he said, the pull of a greater magnet. This, what God did to break the path from heaven, from earth to Europa, would have been to create an opposite magnet, uh, magnetic pole, which is created by this flaming sword. Well, I mean, let's go one step further. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's, let's, let's really ran on everybody's party. You have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that light, as you know it, they don't know what it is. They, 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 have a, they think it is a particle. They think it is a wave. But there's a reason for that because uh, it, it – well, it's called the electromagnetic spectrum for a reason because they, they can only detect it in certain, certain frequencies. So, but it must be a particle, okay? Here, let me explain this another way. Is electromagnetism the flaming sword? Let me explain. If you take away magnetism, is what Aaron hinting at here, is that God created electromagnetism, and that prevented us from being carried away, as Revelation plainly stated that John was, albeit in the spirit, physically being carried away. All of you that have listened to me since uh, May of 2010 know that I've always stated this. Satan is locked, well, oh my goodness, I almost, will be locked in the abyss for a thousand years, just as the fallen angel Azazel, the scapegoat, is right now there, because we are off our axis by 23.4 degrees. This creates a magnetic X marks the spot at the center of this planet, because our own uh, spin axis creates magnetic north and south pole, but the greater north and south pole is generated, of course, on a solar system level by the sun. That's why the ecliptic is where it's at. That's why. So, literally, it's this mechanation that this key, of course, when the great day of he was set up upon the throne were kicked up to a zero-degree axis. Well, ladies and gentlemen, don't you understand what Aaron just said? Electromagnetic properties is what prevents us from going up Jacob's ladder. And when we go back up to a zero-degree axis, not only will he, the scapegoat, be unleashed, this beast from the abyss, but we will be taken on Operation Eagle's Wings to a place that's been prepared for us. What we're saying is, quite literally, uh, how is it prepared? Well, it's thawed out, ladies and gentlemen. Europa is going to thaw out. And once 
electromagnetism is taken out of the way, his children can go up Jacob's ladder, be carried away physically to this place that's prepared. That's exactly what Revelation chapter 12 says. So, what the flaming sword is, is <laughs> the contradiction of this electromagnetic, well, literally speaking right now, uh, it's not perfect. We have two sources of magnetism that makes that sword spin. Makes the needle of the compass spin, ladies and gentlemen. Do you understand that? That on a grandiose scale. Uh, it, it just rattles your cage to think that, wait a minute, the same machination that's keeping the scapegoat and the fallen in the abyss, when it's unlocked, it will not only unlock, well, them, it will unlock the woman to Jacob's ladder. Joe, your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Uh, just kind of looking at some different pictures on electromagnetic force, electromagnetic, uh, goodness. Um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. I was, well, I'll put it this way. Um, <laughs> uh, many years have I spent welding and, uh, uh, one of the styles was TIG, uh, tungsten inert gas or, uh, GTA, gas tungsten arc welding. Um, now out of that, you're not, you have an electrode and it's basically floating above the material that you're going to weld. Now at any time you don't want it to strike the material, it will ground itself and you'll lose the arc. Now, <clears throat> Sometimes you'll use uh, 90 degree magnets to maybe hold a part in place while you tack it. But if you place that magnet in the wrong spot, it will cause that arc to go every which way but where you want it to. So that's what sprung to my mind in memory. Well, you know, it's just... Uh... <laughs> Let me take pause. Aaron, your your thoughts on uh, Joe and I's comments? I've got a I've got a question right now because um, I'm looking looking up right now what would happen if we did have two moons in our orbit, and everything I was seeing was saying that they that the moons would eventually collide. So right now I'm well, looking up uh, what would happen if what the conditions would be for them not to collide. Well, you're looking up the wrong thing, son. The Lord your God tells it it's a gyro. Have you ever seen a gyroscope collide? The, the opposing forces? Of course not. That's what you're missing. Look up, just like I did uh, when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. Look up gyroscopic motion or gyroscope. There's your answer. They're not wanting you to see that. I stated exactly what I meant. It was going to create a gyro, and it was the gyroscopic force that would they would never collide. Look... Make a long story short, they're purposefully not wanting you to see what is obvious because it is called the faithful witness and the advocate for a reason. So, Joe, um, you know, uh, what is amazing, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that in their, in their, well, research on trying to figure out whether a light was a, a, a wave or a particle, 
they conducted uh, a series of tests, and they come to a startling conclusion that if the event was being recorded, it wouldn't happen. Literally speaking, that if you could see the particle, it wouldn't act like a particle. And I'm being completely serious with you. With with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this has everything to do with dividing the light from the darkness. And it creates some pretty crazy, crazy things whenever you start looking into whether it's a wave or a particle and the simple fact that, well, the creation of electromagnetism has prevented us from ever, well... For one, a supernatural transit, I guess, or maybe that's the whole key to being able to uh, violate the speed of light. It's electromagnetism that's stopping us. Hmm. So, <laughs> boy, uh, that really does make you think, wait a minute, you mean that God put in the electromagnetism to stop us from obtaining the speed of light? That's exactly what I said, and that's exactly what I meant. That's the brakes. That's your catch-22, ladies and gentlemen. That's why you'll never be able to get enough energy to overcome that mass you're looking at. So, Joe, any thoughts? Oh, you shall come this far and no further. Um, that's that's kind of where my mind goes right at that moment. Um, no, I, I, I completely believe he... It, well, it's it's always multidimensional. Everything that he does, it's not just one effect. It's 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 multiple things with well, one motion is 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 the best I can describe it. Is you know we use the term killing two birds with one stone. Well, he could do ninety things with one motion or one word spoken, uh, accomplishing on multiple dimensions all at once. Um, yeah, it, it's absolutely mind-blowing to try and get my mind to uh, get around all, you know, or, or see it in that multidimensional view. You know, I have to kind of look at each side and, and then slowly put it together. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, I with practice it gets a little better, but... Uh, Nonetheless, it's uh, it's it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking to look at everything. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's 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 too big for for our minds to contain. It's too wonderful for us. It was then that Jupiter came in and took the advocate. He took the other moon. And Aaron, uh, I did want to ask you about this. What do you think about everybody's dreams? And you've heard me talk about this before. Lots of people have been having dreams of two moons. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, this Europa becoming one of the moons makes sense. It really is startling when you look at it, uh, all the technical data. Literally, the Earth, uh, well, our moon has a twin. I mean, literally in size, shape, and its libido, the whole nine yards. Um, Europa and the moon are literally practically twins. Well, it's a little smaller. Europa is a little smaller than our moon. Yes, it is. It, it is 
marginally smaller than our moon. But our moon has no water, and it has plenty of it. We don't know what kind of dynamics that would play. And you have to realize that that's really what we're kind of talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. We've This goes deeply into some other programs that me and Aaron have done here as of late. One that you have not heard, The Fallen World Part 2, you have not heard, I've not released it. But now Aaron is beginning to really, I bet it's really starting to pinch him right now. The moon is dirt. It's land. Europa, if it comes in, it may be completely covered in water. And this may tie into a strange Hebraic term there back to Genesis. For something was watered from the mist. Something was different. Now Aaron knows what I'm talking about. Could be at play. Lord have mercy. Just remember this, ladies and gentlemen. When the Lord your God speaks, you can't contain everything he means with just either a literal interpretation or a prophetic no, he can mean five things when he speaks. But, literally speaking, is this what creates the gyroscopic motion? Is that one of them are water and one of them are solely dirt? Land and water? I don't know. That's above my pay grade. That's just a little bit farther up Jacob's ladder than I currently occupy. But, one thing is for sure. Uh... <laughs> Just enough to blow your mind when you really think about it. Joe, your closing comments, please. Oh, goodness. Uh, <sighs> you know, from from the uh, very inception of this idea, uh, you know, that uh, Aaron and you brought to me has just been mind-blowing. And then I, I knew uh, going into this that we were going to look at some uh, even more uh, – well, details. I'll just put it that way. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a little bummed that I didn't put that together. Um, you know, thinking about that now, that that I remember the the last show that we did on Europa. Um, I was, I think, I was a little. Well, I think I was a little blown away that this extraterrestrial uh, relocation. Uh, idea and <laughs> the more I thought about it the more it made sense um, this one makes much quicker makes a lot more sense and uh, I am a little bummed that I didn't put uh, two and two and two together on that but uh, wow uh, I am I'm very humbled and very excited uh, about uh, this evening's uh, discussion. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me make sure that I uh, put everything in order here. This is what we're proposing. We're proposing that before time began, Jupiter did a grand attack, and he, the Lord our God, used that to put things in order. The events of Genesis chapter 6 created the second event, the first one on a chronological timeline, and Jupiter came in and took Europa from the Earth. It took the advocate from us per 
Job chapter 16, verse 19. This also created a mechanation that created this, well, electromagnetism, this consternation with the, well, that problem that we have that makes a compass needle spin. This is going to happen a third time, and third time is a charm, just like, well, I've stated it of the slaughter of the innocents. I mean, I've stated it so many times, it's beyond recognition. Third time is a charm. When that false prophet goes after those babies for a third time, that's enough. God kicks us off our axis. He snatches those children per Isaiah chapter 26, per Revelation chapter 14. We get the shindig started. So with that in mind, uh, remember the instigator to all of this third time is the celestial scapegoat. When it comes charging inward, it of course brings with it much of the debris found in the Kuiper belt. And its final resting place is of course the lake of fire, the sun. We've talked about this publicly, Joe and I. I've given to you, provided the links for you that all four black gas giants all four of them they have close to zero libido and they're extremely close orbiting to their parent stars doesn't really make any sense they should dive into well you put an elliptical orbit on one of those and guess what it would do it'd go straight into the sun so this is what I'm saying details the <laughs> astronomical happenings for your future. The celestial scapegoat comes inbound. It violates our inner solar system. We know that the Nice model says, well, one of the events is Neptune and Uranus swaps places. Jupiter comes inbound to protect us. This is what Christ was talking about. By the way, you're going to see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the sky with great glory. Oh, yes. And obviously coming quite quickly. He does this to stabilize us in our orbit. When it does, he brings with him his reward, which is Europa. It goes back into an orbit around the Earth. At the same time, it creates a slingshot effect, and the celestial scapegoat is hurled headlong into the sun. Aaron, your closing comments, please. Wouldn't the sun then gain more mass? Exactamundo it would. What would be the effects of that? Well, um, Jupiter is not going to be tugged back out by Saturn's sun. Oh, you should have seen that coming. Well, I'm saying if if, if, Sat, if the sun gains more mass, then mm -hmm. there's going to be... A... Then Saturn will not be able to pull Jupiter back out. Mathematically, that's what you were looking for. You were trying to say, well, what would happen if, if if the sun takes on too much mass? Its gravity would increase. That's right, it would. And Jupiter wouldn't be pulled back out to his... Because the Lord has already promised us that, no, the bride and the groom are never separated. They're never separated, son. So, in this model, you rewind back to where 
Saturn has the ability to pull Jupiter back out, and it doesn't because the mass is taken because the sun has acquired the mass of the scapegoat, and all odds become equal. They become equal, Aaron. It's equaled out. Jupiter stays right here. Yeah, because mass is mass. That's right. That's right, Aaron. That's right. That's right. So now everybody's really scratching their head about Leviticus chapter 16, aren't you? Ladies and gentlemen, I've been screaming at the top of my lungs. Jesus only fulfilled the sacrifice to the Lord, not the one to the scapegoat. The entire reason why you have to go through what you call the end times, the apocalypse, the book of Revelation, is because we got to do the sacrifice for the scapegoat. So, literally speaking, the science makes sense prophetically now. Scapegoat comes in from the wilderness, it returns. Well, just kind of like what happened the years before, uh, yeah, 70 AD, look it up. The scapegoat returned, returned to the temple. And the crimson cord had not been washed white. It comes back. Well, I've stated it once. No reason to state it a second time. Prophecy unbound. Both magnetically and gravitationally speaking, I guess. Joe, can you take us out in prayer, please? Yes, sir. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads. May bow our hearts before your throne, Father. Father, I want to thank you for this time, Father. I want to thank you for well, showing us your word, Father, in ways that uh mm, such a blessing. Thank you, Father. Father, I, I, I also want to lift those up uh in prayer. Father, um, California right now is, uh, being struck with, as you know, with earthquakes and, well, it looks like it's not over yet. And, uh, my prayers go out to the Christians there as well. And as well as your little ones, Father. So much is happening. So much is going on. And I'm excited. I'm excited, Father. I'm excited to, uh, well, that your will will be done. Father, that you will have what you have desired all along, Father. That is, well, that's something to be excited for. Father, I ask that you bless the listeners as they hear this, that they are edified by this, Father. I also ask that you be with uh, Brother Matthew and his son and his entire family. And I ask that you be with my wife right now, Father, and her family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen and amen, ladies and gentlemen. And boy, the Lord sure does have a way of you know, making me go further, setting boundaries for me. Ladies and gentlemen, let me take you to what you were, what was just itching at the back of your mind. 
I'll give you a gift. Well, my son and Joe, I'll give a gift. But seems how I'm going to leave this in the audio. I guess the gift is for you as well. This is what we're trying to say, ladies and gentlemen. Let me be very clear with you. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city and the gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as a width. And he measured the city with a rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measures his wall. 72 yards according, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you understand what he was doing? If Europa is completely covered in water, are you so sure he was telling you that Jerusalem was not an ark? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he may have had Noah build an ark for more prophetic reasons than you beforehand could understand. Now, why would a city be a cubicle? Oh, it'd make perfect sense if, well, what he's really describing is an ark. And, of course, the foundation, well, you know, like a plot, you know, platoon boat works. Ladies and gentlemen, you might want to take a look one more time at Revelation chapter 21 and the layout to that city and then go back to Genesis and check out the dimensions for that ark. Never know what you could find. But literally speaking, the Lord your God might have told you up front, you're going to Europa, and in order to be on Europa, you're going to have to be on a great big boat. Because it's covered in water. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.